this week on Hope for the Broken. Listen, whatever your weakness, whatever your struggle, Jesus has felt the weight of that. And he's overcome it. He's been through what you're going through. He understands your hurts. He understands your pain. He knows your struggle. And therefore, he has proven that he is a trustworthy and wonderful counselor. The question then is, how do we get to that point where we experience in him that way? Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called The Hope of Christmas. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part three titled, A Wonderful Counselor. If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 6 and 7 as we continue our teaching series that we started a couple of weeks ago entitled The Hope of Christmas. You know, Christmas is oftentimes filled with anything but hope. I mean, there is the hustling and the bustling. There's the disappointment of family. There is the coordinating of schedules. There's having to do Christmas parties with people that you don't really care about in the work office that you see way too often. And it's also could be a reminder of, of those that are no longer here with us that have gone to be with Jesus in glory. And, and so sometimes Christmas is very lonely. But the truth of Christmas is that it is wrapped up, it is full of hope. There is hope at this time of year in Christmas. And so we've taken a look at the hope that is in the promise foretold. We look examined even in the Garden of Eden that uh, Christmas, that was the first mentioning that Christmas was coming. And then last week we took a look at the promise fulfilled. We took a look at even the birth narrative of Jesus and how prophets even some 700 years before the birth event of Jesus predicted the exact location, the timing, and how. Jesus would come into the world, and Jesus fulfilled that even in his birth. So in the next few times that we have to gather together, we're going to continue the series, The Hope of Christmas, by looking at the names given to the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So today we're going to take a look at what wonderful counselor means. Then on Christmas Eve, my favorite service of the entire year uh, will be this Saturday. We'll have two services, 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. And so you come with your family. We won't have kids ministry because this is going to be geared for the entire family. It's going to be so much fun. It'll be a candlelight service featuring Christmas carols and a kid's story and a devotional thought. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the title, A Mighty God. And then on Christmas Day, the very next day, Sunday morning, we're going to complete that Christmas series by looking at the fact that Jesus is the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And so I hope that you make plans to be a part of each of those as we continue in uh, gleaning from the fact that there is hope here at Christmas. But today, book of Isaiah, we look at the term Wonderful Counselor. I know those of you who have recently had children, the whole naming process can be uh, 
crazy, right? Uh, I know some of you are expecting children, and so you're kind of like, well, what are we going to name our child? It's one of the biggest things that couples, whenever that time period is presented to them, uh, have to come up with. What do you name your child? You know, the people that you've dated before you got married, right? Their names, off limits, right? You can't, you can't go there, right? What about childhood friends that you had growing up that were real jerks, right? Well, you can't name your kid after those people, right? And then if your parents can't pronounce the name of your child, you got to steer clear. I remember when Carson was born, our oldest, we really wanted to name her Eden, but my dad said, you're going to name her Eden? I was like, what? No, no, we're not going eating. Her name is going to be Eden. And so he couldn't pronounce it, so we went with Carson instead. Uh, and so, uh, so you know, you got to think through that. Then you also have to worry about nicknames that you might be called, right? For example, if your last name is Man, you don't want to name your daughter Anita. If your last name is Price, Lois might not be the best term. Some of you guys are going to get that later, right? <laughs> Lois Price, Anita Man, right? Uh, but by the time we got to our third child, Reese, we'd kind of run out of names. So Carson, Kathy and I just kind of both liked the name Carson. And then Drew, he's actually named after both of his granddads. Kathy's dad's name is Andy, so his real name is Andrew. And my dad's name is John, and so his middle name is John. And so he has an intentional name. But by the time you get to the third one, man, you're just running out of ideas. And, and so I was a student minister at the time that Kathy was pregnant with Reese. And so I had a bright idea. Why not let our, the students of our student ministry name our child? Bad idea, right? <laughs> And so we had come up with about three different names uh, that we were kind of kicking around. And so what I did is I created these ballots uh, that we were going to pass out to all of our kids. We had about 160 kids as a part of the student ministry. And so I made a bunch of ballots with each of these three names. And then I made the mistake of writing other with a write-in note, just in case they came up with a name that we hadn't thought about, right? thought maybe they're creative. Well, the junior boys and the senior boys got together with the junior girls and the senior girls, and they were, uh, they were going to write in a vote. And so as we started tabulating the, uh, the votes, uh, they, uh, they took dominance there. And the winning vote, anybody want to take a stab? You won't guess it. It was Rashid, right? You know, I know that there is a Pastor Rashid that joins us from Pakistan each and every Sunday, and no offense to him, but Rashid is not a common name in the United States, right? So we weren't going to do that. So we settled in on Reese, right, is the closest name to that. So don't let students, don't let teenagers name your children. That's a bad, bad idea. But you know, in biblical days, what people's names were, were extremely important because they were very meaningful. In today's world, we name our children based upon names that we just like the sound of, or we name them after certain people. But names and titles were very important in ancient days. And the names given to the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus, in Isaiah's prophecy here in chapter 9, some 700 years before the birth of Christ, has tremendous meaning. And so I want to begin our time today by reading those two verses and examining these names. And so I want to encourage you to read along in your copy of God's Word. Uh, if you don't have one with you, there's a Bible on the seat rack in front of you, or of course we put the Scriptures on the screens. 
So let's read along. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Remember, this was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name, singular, mark that, hold that in your, in your mind, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now I want to remind you of a little bit of background. Uh, as I think understanding the, the time period, the historical background as to when Isaiah is writing this prophecy will give us a greater insight as to what this really truly means. At the time of Isaiah's writing this, the Jews were living in a lot of turmoil. They were burdened with tremendous fear. The northern kingdom of Israel had been invaded by the Assyrians, and it ultimately led to the fall of that northern kingdom. And many of the people living in that region of the world at that time were then taken captive and then exported to a foreign land where they were treated as less than enslaved to. Well, Isaiah's prophecy of a coming Savior, you can imagine what that would mean to this people. It would mean freedom. It would mean deliverance. It would mean prosperity. It would mean hopefulness that there is a coming Savior. And this news, this proclamation of Isaiah built hope, instilled hope within the people. And Isaiah is often called the gospel of the Old Testament. You know, the word gospel means literally good news. Evangelion, good news. And so Isaiah is the gospel, the good news of the Old Testament. And so especially when he comes in and he starts talking about that this new king is going to be born and he's going to establish a new government and that government will be one of deliverance and of peace and will reign forever and ever and ever. Of course, the Jews took that to be a literal earthly kingdom, and Jesus ushered in what? A spiritual kingdom where he rules and he reigns. And one day when Christ returns, he's going to ultimately defeat the enemy, and he is going to reign and rule in a new heaven and a new earth forevermore. And so this brought hope. This was a light in the midst of a very, very dark time in the hearts of these people. And in verse 6, remember Isaiah says that his name, this Messiah's name, singular, shall be called. And then what's interesting, he says singular, and then he gives us a list of names. That's not singular, but in this case, it, it is singular. And what, what uh, scholars tell us is that these aren't necessarily specific names, like not that he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. No, because later on the angel is going to tell Joseph that he needs to name the Messiah what? Jesus. So his, his literal name is, is Jesus, but these are titles. 
These are titles that the Messiah was to carry. See, it was common in the ancient world for kings to be named with a series of titles. In fact, when they would be introduced, it would be introduced with the titles before their proper name. So I want you to think about this as Jesus was born, coming in, he could be introduced this way. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ. Because he's a king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so these are titles that the Messiah would carry. Now there are some scholars that would debate that there are actually six titles here, while others would say that there's four. But regardless to the number, each of these titles carry tremendous significance, as we are going to see here with the title, Wonderful Counselor. And Jesus being the fulfillment of the Messiah, I want you to know here today, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And so what I want to do today is I want to pick those two words apart, wonderful counselor, and then I want to talk about some application points here in our message time today. So let's begin our study by breaking down those two words. First, the word wonder. Wonder. Wonder is the root word of the word wonderful. You know, there are certain words in the English language that we tend to devalue, don't we? Wonderful is one of those words. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the term wonderful means marvelous, astonishing. Think about that for a moment. I think we overuse the word wonderful so much so that we have lost the, the value of what that word truly means. For example, we'll say things like, I had a wonderful day. Or we'll say things like, I had a wonderful lunch but I want us to understand what it is that we're saying when we use the word wonderful. We're saying my lunch was so amazing, so astonishing, so marvelous, I was awestruck. You know that sandwich was so wonderful it left me speechless. That's what we're saying. Now I've had some good sandwiches in my day, but none that left me speechless. And so the idea of, of this word wonder carries this significant weight. The Hebrew word translated as wonderful in Isaiah 9 is a word that carries the meaning of supernatural awestruck, provoking awe and wonder. It is a word that the people of God would say when there were no words. You know what I'm talking about? What am I going to say about this situation? It's so astonishing. It is so uh, amazing. The only word that I could say is that it is a wonder. It's a wonder. Let me give you a couple of examples in the scripture of when we see this word used to help us wrap our minds around it. Psalm 118 verse 23 says this, this is the Lord's doing. In other words, this is an act of God. It is marvelous in our eyes. The word translated as marvelous here is the same word translated wonderful in Isaiah 9. We marvel at the very acts of Almighty God. Let me give you another example. Exodus 15, 11. 
Moses makes this statement when he's trying to talk to God. He says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deed, doing wonders? Again, the same word as in Isaiah 9. When God does something that only God can do, the only word that could describe it is wonderful. It's wonderful. It's even too wonderful for us to even begin to comprehend. And because this title is given to Jesus, the conclusion that we come to is this, that even in his coming, it is a marvelous wonder, an incredible work of God appearing, God in the flesh. Beloved, Christmas is wonderful, full of wonder. I think in many ways Christmas has become too familiar to us. But did you know the birth of Christ is a wonder? I want you to see it. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. It says this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who was there to hear it wondered at what the shepherds told him. Has Christmas lost its wonder for you? Have we become too familiar with Christmas that we are no longer awestruck? One commentator on this verse that I read this week said it this way, The Old Testament usage of this word wonderful compels us to the conclusion that it here designates the Messiah not merely as someone extraordinary, but as one who is in his very person and being is a wonder. He that which surpasses human thought, human power, he is God himself. Oh, beloved, may we never lose the wonder of Christmas. This morning, our kids have put together a living nativity. And one thing that is so beautiful about that is it never gets old to me. It never gets old. The picture of of God coming in flesh. Now, the the baby playing Jesus is is a live baby, of which his parents said is the best baby Jesus that is born since baby Jesus. I don't know about that. But it is a beautiful picture. And as we walk by it today, may we wonder, marvel at what it represents. And so I want to talk practically for just a second. How can we not lose the wonder of Christmas? What if we became a little more intentional in our family time at Christmas? More than just gathering with family to enjoy a great meal, more than just opening up presents, more than just beholding the shock and the excitement of children, what if we set the stage of why we open gifts? You know, we open gifts because Jesus received gifts. It's a picture, yet again, of the Christmas story. And before opening gifts with your family, what if you read the Christmas story in Luke 2, verses 1 through 20, just 20 verses? And more than just read it, what if you acted it out with your kids and your, your grandkids? 
You know, there are six characters that appear in the Luke 2 account of the Christmas story. There's a narrator, an angel, shepherds, heavenly host, and Mary and Joseph. Give a role to as many as six people in the family. And when it comes to their part in the Christmas story, have them read it as if they are actually them. Maybe, just maybe, the Christmas story would leap off the pages and lodge itself within our hearts. And then make an easy transition to opening gifts. To say simply, the reason that we get to now open up gifts together is because Jesus was first given gifts. May we never lose the wonder of Christmas. Jesus has wonder. Secondly, Jesus has wisdom. See, the full title given here in the first title of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is Wonderful Counselor. What do we typically think of when we hear the word counselor? We think of a therapist, right? Sits across from us and asks us questions and writes down notes about our responses. We, we think a therapist. We have different counselors today. There's financial counselors, there's marriage counselors, and so forth and so on. But that word counselor does not mean therapist. The word counselor in the original language means to give advice, to guide. The idea is that a counselor was one that possessed tremendous amounts of wisdom. The Old Testament days, a counselor was someone who served on a king's cabinet. And think about the wisdom, the advice that they gave upon that king's cabinet. Strategic advice on matters concerning war, political campaigns, or even business adventures. They provided advice about the best course of action to take on any and every circumstance. In order to serve in that capacity, one had to possess a great deal of wisdom. You know, the Proverbs are full of verses that talk about wisdom. And not only talk about wisdom, but talk about the value of finding wisdom in the counsel of others. This is the idea of Jesus being the wonderful counselor. Let me give you a couple examples of Proverbs that use the same term counselor as is used of Jesus in the Isaiah 9 passage. Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 says this, where there is no guidance, in other words, where there is no wisdom, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, strategic advisors, there is safety. Then also in Proverbs 15, 22, it says, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. We understand this, right? We, we, we understand the idea. Now remember, Isaiah's prophecy here is about the Messiah, Jesus. And so this title is given to Jesus. And it is obvious in the gospel accounts that Jesus possesses what? Wisdom far above anyone else. Remember in Luke chapter 2, a little bit after the birth narrative, we have the only picture of Jesus as a teenager. You remember what he's doing in, in the temple? And we see how those surrounding Jesus viewed him as a teenager. It says in Luke 2, 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. 
And then whenever he grew up and he, he began teaching in the synagogues, do you remember what they said of him? Mark chapter 6, verse 2. It says, and on the Sabbath he began to teach, he being Jesus, in the synagogue, and many who heard him were what? Astonished. The same idea of beholding wonder, being amazed. They were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And you know, I think it's important for us to to differentiate here the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Because Scripture warns us that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. We can surround ourselves with all the advisors we can, but if they're speaking earthly wisdom, then we miss the boat. There's a difference between wisdom of the world and wisdom from heaven. And James in chapter 3 verse 15 teaches us this. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from the above, but it's what? It's earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Oh, but the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. See, James is clear about the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Here's the truth. Jesus is more than just wise. Jesus is the source of all wisdom. And because of that, beloved, we would do well to heed his counsel, to allow him to be our guide, our counselor. How have you seen Jesus been a guide for you? When I look back on my life, I see how Jesus has literally been a guide, a counselor an advisor to me. He allowed me to be surrounded in high school by great friends in a, in a church youth group that encouraged me down the right path instead of the path that led to destruction. I remember I was with a friend of mine and we were at a, um, a small groups conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we went to a strip, down, to the strip down there. And uh, man, that's a dangerous place, by the way. Um, and so, not physically, but just all that you see down there. And one of the things that we saw was this man in a uh, Speedo, and that was it, playing a guitar. And my friend looked at him, and, and we just, he, I, I was walking down, and he just kind of looked like, I'm like, dude, what are, you, what are you looking at? And he goes, that's me without Jesus. <laughs> that's exactly what I would be doing if it were not for Jesus, Right? Jesus has given us counsel, surrounded me with godly friends. Even in my call to ministry, I I, I see how God has opened up doors for me, provided me with opportunities, and have guided me along the way. You know, Jesus also gives me advice on how I treat my family and how I treat others. Sometimes painful advice. Jesus has been a wonderful counselor to me. How has he been a wonderful counselor for you? And so he's a, 
He's a wonderful counselor. So we've talked about the wonder, we've talked about the wisdom. Now in the time we have left, let's talk about the weight. And when I say weight, I'm referring to how Jesus being a wonderful counselor should land on us. How we should wear this. Because here's what I want to do this morning. I don't want us to just study these two words and walk away from here. I want us to understand what this title means for us today, here and now, in the circumstance in which you find yourself. It's a wonderful counselor. It means that Jesus is so amazing. He's so supreme. And he is the sole advisor for our life that amazes us. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus is a wonderful counselor is because he understands what you're going through. There is nothing, I want you to hear me, there is nothing that you have experienced or are experiencing that Jesus himself has not experienced. You say, Pastor Chris, how do you know that? Well, Hebrews 4.15 tells us. For we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, Jesus is our high priest, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Listen, whatever your weakness, whatever your struggle, Jesus has felt the weight of that. And he's overcome it. He's been through what you're going through. He understands your hurt. He understands your pain. He knows your struggle. And therefore, he has proven that he is a trustworthy and wonderful counselor in all things. The question then is, how do we get to that point where we experience in him that way? Two things I want to offer to you in terms of application. Number one, listen to the counselor's voice. The counselor is speaking. Are you hearing him? Do you hear him? You know, there are all kinds of voices in our culture, in our day and time, in our society, claiming to know the truth. But listen, if it's not the voice of God, it is far from the truth. Jesus is more than true. He is the truth, Scripture says. And as believers in Jesus, it is our responsibility to tune out the wisdom of this world and to listen solely to the counselor's voice. I want you to consider the words of God this morning to us today. Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. This is known as the transfiguration. Remember where he reveals himself in all of his glory. And you remember there were Moses and Elijah that appears. And what did, what did Peter, James, and John want to do after seeing that? They wanted to build an altar. They wanted to worship right then and right there. But interrupting them is God's voice. Mark chapter 9, verse 7. It says, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. I heard a pastor say, 
If there are ever three words that God wants to say to you today, it's listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. In January, I'm excited about a new teaching series that we're going to be launching into as we're going to study the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And one of the major themes in 1 Samuel is learning to hear the voice of God. You remember the story of God crying out three times, thinking it was someone else only to be advised, hey, next time you hear it, say, here I am, Lord. God is speaking. Are we listening to him? Listen to the counselor's voice. Secondly, be obedient to the counselor. It's one thing to hear him. It's another thing to be obedient to the voice that we hear. Again, James provides insight here. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man that looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, the word of God, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but rather a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We need to understand that the hearing and doing that the Lord is asking us sometimes means that we won't like it, that we'll disagree with it, that our sinful self will stand opposed to the wisdom of God. It will grate against what we typically and normally want to do. The conviction of the Holy Spirit goes against the desires of our flesh. So we ought to expect that. But God loves us. Hear me. God loves us so much to not leave us in our sin and in our shame, but rather provoke us unto righteousness to challenge us, to prod us even, to become righteous, holy. So oftentimes we need to hear what we often don't want to hear. Amen or ouch? I know for me it's sometimes ouch. But because what Jesus speaks to us is truth and wisdom and from heaven, we would do good to follow it. You know why? Because he's wonderful. Awestruck beyond words, supernatural, divine, holy, God and the flesh, God in us, and he is a counselor, the wisest of the wise, the truest of the true, the one our hearts ought to tune to. Do you know him as that? Today, do you know Jesus as a wonderful counselor? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. 
It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.